0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 23. Yes, the Gospel of Luke. We're back in Luke. (laughs) I hope that you all are, that everyone is doing well uh, this morning, and I hope you have your Bibles. uh, we're going to be in Luke 23, and we're going to be starting in verse 50 in in just a moment. I know it's been a while since we've been in, in, in Luke's Gospel. We had this, in a sense, unexpected impromptu time in the Psalms. Uh, but now it's for now it's time to, to get back into Luke's Gospel. I did the math, and this is our 105th sermon in the Gospel of Luke. So God bless you for hanging in there. Um this uh this long. Um I believe that it has been a worthwhile time to study uh this gospel as precisely as we have. And so praise God. So we're going to shake the dust out of Luke's gospel um this morning, and I want you as we read it this morning to uh, as we read it, I want you to try to figure out why would this passage be in Luke's gospel, and we're going to answer that question directly after we uh, after we read it. So let's look at verse fifty together in Luke chapter twenty-three. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented. ...to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in linen, a linen shroud, and laid him in the tomb, cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation... The Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. And this is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, and inerrant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. Well, here in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, we know that this takes place right after Jesus was crucified. And there's chapter 3 is a huge chapter, very important. You can go back and look and see all the details of, of what had happened. But Jesus has been crucified and Jesus is now dead. He is dead. Now what? We know the, the whole point of the cross, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the work of God. We know that it has been God's work, that he has worked to accomplish the forgiveness of sins of sinners so that sinners can be saved and reconciled and redeemed and, and brought near where sin has separated, God through Christ and the cross is bringing near. At the cross, Jesus was our perfect substitute, our atoning sacrifice before our holy God. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, that this is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to, to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, of the first importance. Of first importance. But is it only just the resurrection? No. Paul says, of first importance is his death, burial, and his resurrection. So his death and his burial is of first importance. So we have to stop. We have to consider the death and burial of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just about his suffering, the intensity of his suffering, the excruciating pain that he had to endure on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sin. But it was also necessary that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, to also die and to be buried. So overall, these six verses, and it does tell us the story of, of Joseph and the women and some of the other disciples, that overall in this, what Luke is driving for us as Luke being the accurate historical teacher that he is giving us the, uh, a historical account of the life and ministry and death and burial of, of Jesus, that overall he wants us to see the evidences that Jesus truly died. And he died enough to be buried. Jesus died, and then he was buried. But but Luke is not writing this just as a history teacher, so that we would have, so that we would just have some information like from a history book. But Luke writes these things, these details, these evidences for us, in order that we would have confidence and assurance in the Lord. That in the Lord our salvation has truly been accomplished by Jesus Christ. Because on the cross where he really suffered, he really died and was really buried and was really resurrected. So in this passage, there are, there are six ways, that, uh, six different ways that, that Luke is showing us evidences of this. First is this. Uh, he wants us to know who was in charge of burying Jesus And we know, he tells us exactly who it actually was. It was Joseph, an upright, reliable guy who had credibility on on both sides. Second, he tells us how Jesus was buried. Pilate gave Joseph permission and they took him off the cross. They wrapped his body in linen. Third, we see where Jesus was buried. He was buried in a cut tomb on the side of a, of a hill. In this particular tomb was a brand new tomb that has never been used before. Fourth, there were eyewitnesses to the whole thing. There were women from Galilee, there was Joseph of Arimathea. They saw exactly where Jesus' dead, lifeless body was buried was laid in the tomb. They saw the exact position that the body was, was placed so that they knew exactly where to come back after the Sabbath was over. They knew exactly what tomb to go to. Fifth, we know where Jesus was buried, or when Jesus was buried, excuse me. He was buried on the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath began. Jesus died around 3 p.m. that Friday. And at 6 p.m., as the, when the sun went down, is when the Sabbath began. So this was this period of pe- preparation for the Sabbath. So they had three hours to take his body off the cross and prepare it as much as possible and to lay it in a tomb. We know exactly when this took place. And lastly, last piece of evidence that we see here, is that we see the details of how they prepared Jesus' body. They wrapped him in linen. And yet still they needed more time to anoint his body. The women needed to come back to prepare, to prepare more spices and ointments for Jesus' body. This is all evidence, to, should be evidence to us, that, that Jesus truly died. And that is very important. It is very important because of this very massive truth about our salvation because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus really died because the wages of our sin is death. And in his death, he paid our death as our representative so that now all those who are in Christ, we no longer will face eternal death for the wages of our sin. Amen. I'll say it for you. <laughs> and Luke is giving us that evidence that that has been paid for in full. The evidence of the death of Christ for our salvation is completely Accomplished in him. Heresies would creep into the church that would sway people away from this truth. In the early church there were false teachings that said that Jesus never really existed in the flesh. That he he had no real human nature. They denied all parts of his humanity altogether. He was just just a spirit that looked like he was in the body and therefore he couldn't experience pain or really what eating was like or drinking or being hungry. So nor could he ever have died. Which also means he didn't need to be resurrected. It was all just made to look like he did. Another heresy was that of Jesus never really died was the, the swoon theory that Jesus was put into grave, but he was only in a sort of a coma, a catatonic state that fooled everybody and then was just let out by his disciples later on. Brothers and sisters, these heresies still exist and they are still prevalent today The to downplay the necessity of Jesus' death and his sacrifice, and his substitutionary atonement for sin. And they replace it with, Jesus is just a good example of being a sacrifice, and loving, and kind. But the scripture clears something all too different. Because Jesus truly died, and his body was put into the grave. And the evidences are clear and they're there. If Jesus was still alive, why would those who love him most then seal him in a tomb? If he didn't truly die in the flesh, then what hope do any of us have for our salvation? For the wages of sin is death. Sin and guilt has not been dealt with. The wrath of God towards sinners is still hasn't been propitiated on the cross. And therefore, the whole life, death, resurrection, as they would believe, was a complete waste of time. But we know that that is not the case. We know that that is not the true because we know Jesus died and he was buried on our behalf And that's the main point, I believe, of this passage. That Luke wants us to see the evidences of that Jesus truly died. But I also want to show you two more things, important things from this passage. Because in the death and burial of Christ, we still find the Lord at work. We still find the Lord at work. I want to first encourage you, by the small lights in dark places. That there are small lights in dark places. This passage in Luke chapter 23, 50 through 56, first starts off by telling us about a man who shows up out of nowhere. Right after Jesus dies, this man shows up out of nowhere. Another guy named Joseph. And at the darkest moment, for all the disciples, for the women that were following Jesus, at the darkest moment, facing such loss and heartache and evil and fear and uncertainty, this man named Joseph shows up out of nowhere. And this man is like a spark of light in the darkness. And there have been many sparks throughout those hours of Jesus being arrested and taken to the cross and crucified. What about Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus and eventually him and his family became followers of Christ? Jesus' prayers of forgiveness on the cross. How about the repentant criminal on the cross? How about the curtain torn in two and a pagan centurion who confesses the righteousness, the other righteousness of Jesus. And then there's this man, Joseph. He is a light of unknown love and devotion at the least expected time from the most at least from the least expected place. God shows us, and he is showing his people that he has people in the most unexpected places and times than we would ever know. He was a man from Arimathea, a member of the council. That is the The Sanhedrin, this is the the same council that convicted Jesus of blasphemy and brought him before Pilate, accusing him of sedition and rebellion against Caesar. Matthew tells us that that, uh, Joseph was a rich man. Verse 50 says that he was a good and righteous man. And that should tell us a whole lot more about him, doesn't it? It tells us a lot about anyone, his character and his posture toward Jesus. That's what it's, it's telling us toward the Lord. He was humble, He was receptive, He was open. His heart was soft. And this reminds us of other characters we've seen, people we've seen in Luke's Gospel, like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simon, uh, Simeon, excuse me, the old man waiting his whole life at the temple. For the Lord's anointed. The Lord has his people in his places. And, but Joseph, who was a part of this council, who was wealthy, wasn't like the others of the council. He wasn't a hypocrite who wanted Jesus to die. He had not consented to their decisions, what the passage tells us. Joseph didn't go along with the, with the conspiring. joseph didn't go along with the evil and the hatred toward jesus in fact joseph probably wasn't even invited to those council meetings that condemned jesus john's gospel tells us something else about joseph that joseph was a secret disciple it's actually his words that he was a secret disciple. Joseph followed Jesus and yet he kept it secret. And yes, probably because he feared man instead of God. But his heart was toward the Lord and his faith was stirred toward Christ. He followed Jesus. Why? The passage tells us because he longed for the kingdom Of God that Jesus preached, not the Jews. He longed for the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming. So, listen to this this is the most unlikely of people standing up at the most unlikely of times. A rich man, a religious man, a devoted man of God who's following Jesus in in secret. He longed for the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, Joseph is evidence that the camel can go right through the eye of the needle. Totally blowing away probably the rest of the disciples when they see a wealthy man coming up to the body of Jesus. And yet here by God's grace, Here is a rich and affluent man entering into the kingdom of God. And so after Jesus died, Joseph was there. And you know, this is exactly where God wanted him to be. And he wasn't going to be a secret disciple anymore. Mark tells us that Joseph took courage. He was... Brave and he acted in his belief. I think a better way is he acted in his faith. Now courage is a is a, an outpouring of the faith that we have. And he acted in that faith by going to Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus. Now that seems more like an act of service than bravery. But let me explain to you why. According to Roman law, if someone was condemned to death, then they had no right to burial crucifixion was a condemnation by death but crucifixion had more of a point to it than just death or exacting justice for a crime but it was a for future deterrent of criminals It was a deterrent to future criminals to not rebel or mess with Rome and so after crucifixion bodies were supposed to stay on the cross They were meant to stay there so that all the people could see the birds eating the bodies in front of them as the bodies decompose in the sun. It was a nasty affair. And so for Joseph, a righteous and upstanding Jew who was a part of the Sanhedrin, asking Pilate for the body of Jesus before the Sabbath to take place, knowingly that would make himself unclean, he goes to Pilate with courage, asking for the body of Jesus. Joseph, the rich, affluent, religious man, is now taking a public stand for Jesus it would no longer be a secret no longer would he be a secret disciple he was taking a very dangerous position he was siding himself with someone who had just died on a cross take up your cross and follow me So what's so important about all of this? Well, first I want you to see that as the Lord brings small lights, small sparks of light in the darkness, as I first want you to see is that the Lord is always at work. The Lord is always at work. And we see that because we clearly can see how He has done a good work In this man, a rich and affluent man who sits on the council, the Lord has done an amazing work in this man's life, even as a secret disciple. Doesn't that amaze us? Doesn't that give us all hope that by God's grace that he can truly save anyone, anywhere? Which, by the way, Joseph wasn't the only one who came that morning or that afternoon. John also tells us that another Pharisee came. The man named Nicodemus came and helped to care for Jesus, Jesus' body. The Lord changes hearts. And even if it took for them to see the Savior crucified, they took courage and they publicly showed who they believed in and whom they loved more than their position and their power and their wealth. It's the Lord that, is that worked to save them in the Lord's timing. He saves criminals right before they die. He saves the rich and the religious when they are most comfortable. Brothers and sisters, the Lord brings light in the darkness. Secondly, I think we can be encouraged by the fact that God has His people in the most unlikely of places and they come out in the most unlikely of times. Joseph is small. Joseph is just a small piece, a small light in the darkness when most everyone else had shrunken back. This guy who we have never heard before, and after this we will never hear of again, steps in. There may be people who you have not met, people around town, that we may even know, and yet not even know, that the Lord is working in their hearts. And when it seems like all the world is against us, that all people just seemingly do not care about the things of God. It is so easily to be discouraged. But there is a lesson here from what the Lord's work in Joseph of Arimathea that there are sparks of light in the darkness. Look for it, pray, look for the sprouts that come amongst the weeds. Pray that the Lord would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Pray that the Lord would give us eyes to see that the harvest is ready and that we would go sharing the gospel. And lastly, let us learn from the example of what courageous discipleship looks like. For a while, Joseph had kept his love and loyalty to Jesus a secret. He was in fear, but in the right moment, he chose to identify himself publicly with Jesus. Remember, again, others walked away and he went toward. And the Lord used him in that bravery to do something that he probably could have never imagined even in those moments Of publicly confessing Christ, that tomb that tomb that he donated was going to be the site of the most miraculous, spectacular, glorious, beautiful thing that ever has happened on this earth. He never would have known, and it was the Lord's will, brothers and sisters. 99.9% 99.9% of our time, of the time, of, of time that we follow Jesus and that we're courageous and we're faithful, 99.9% of that time, it is not as public and it's not as dramatic as what took place with Joseph Arimathea. But listen to this, that in every act of courageous faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, we can be sure that it's never a waste of time. That it's never fruitless. It's never pointless to be faithful. It is never a waste of time to be obedient. Even sharing the gospel to that person that seems fruitless and a waste of time and almost counterintuitive, that they really didn't care about any word you ever said to them. Take heart. Take heart from this story of Joseph of Arimathea, that God is always working. That He is always weaving a marvelous tapestry out of the small acts of faith and small acts of courage and obedience from His people for His glory. The Lord has encouraged us through small sparks of light and darkness maybe it's your acts of courage and faith and obedience that you think is fruitless and waste of time or pointless that others might see and be encouraged and be delighted and built up all to the glory of God Last thing I want to show you this morning is that followers follow in obedience. Even in the darkness, followers follow in obedience. Again, the longest days and the longest hours probably for the disciples. Have you ever had those moments of uncertainty, fear of the unknown, anxiousness and anxiety where time almost stands still? Seems like a dumb question, especially in times like these. These past months and even days and even hours seem to be packed with so much uncertainty and fear all around us from the pandemic to the economy, civil unrest, hatred, anger, death around us. Who knows what the next 12 months hold? Uncertainty is frightening. There's always something to be fearful, though, of. There's always something that makes us uncertain of the future. There are always reasons for us to be anxious and to have anxiety. And the disciples and the followers of Jesus are no stranger to that, of moments of darkness and moments of uncertainty. They were standing at a distance and they were frightened. They actually saw Jesus die. They saw that there was no more life in his body. They watched as his side was pierced to prove that he had already died. Needless to say, they were just a little nervous and anxious and fearful and uncertain of what would be next. Asking themselves, questioning in their hearts, asking each other, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? What's funny is, I bet in reading this story, none of us felt that, felt a sympathy for them in their anxiety in that time. And the reason is, is because we know the end of the story. But think about their place at that moment. That truth of the resurrection has not set in. Has not become the reality for them yet as it is for us as we gloriously live in. Jesus was dead. His body hanging lifeless on the cross. And the Lord sends this spark of light of a rich man who is a part of the council. Joseph courageously acted. Verse 54 says, and it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The Sabbath was the deadline. They were, get, they were getting everything ready for the Sabbath there at, that evening, that Friday evening. Verse 56 And they, the women, returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. Now, this is how it all happened Jesus died on a Friday. They put him in the grave, they rested on the Sabbath. And that was Saturday. This shows us something about not only the truth and the validity and the evidence of Jesus' death, that in his death is paid for the wages of sin, for those who are his own. But in this small passage here, we we see something just amazing. Is that the disciples, those who were still there, including the women they obeyed the Sabbath command. They obeyed the Sabbath command. They observed the law of the Sabbath in preparing the body for, for burial. And after this, they rested on Saturday. And now we have to realize here that this was probably, not probably, that was the last Sabbath Saturday ever. Because Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And the whole Sabbath would be fulfilled and focused on him. Now you remember during Jesus' ministry that Jesus and his disciples were always accused of doing what? Being Sabbath breakers. Eating on the Sabbath, walking on the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, forgiving on the Sabbath. It didn't matter what they did. That was what they always accused him of, of breaking the rules, breaking the law of God. However, Jesus showed his disciples, his followers, what? He showed them what the Sabbath was made for. And Luke is showing us here that his followers, the followers of Jesus, did according to the law of God, the word of God, that on that Sabbath they rested because they trusted God. They trusted God. They trusted the Lord. They didn't act out in license to break the commandments after the cross, but they saw the cross as a call to what? To come and die, to be obedient, not to be obedient, disobedient, not to walk in disobedience. Followers follow in obedience because of the cross. Because at the cross, we are seeing on display the grace of God towards sinners and the love of God towards sinners. They were obedient to the word of God, just as we are to be obedient to the word of God. We have been saved by grace, and the evidence of that is because of the cross. We didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. They didn't earn it, and nor could we. Yet God still sent His Son to die on the cross, right? For us. God's free and unmerited grace is how we have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared before him, that we should walk in them. So, what we see here, and what we see also in this passage here, is that not only have we been saved by grace not to license to do whatever we want as so many people believe that if we're saved by grace, now I can just do whatever I want. I don't have to live by, the, by obedience or by the law or by what the Lord has said because I've been saved by grace. But what this passage is telling us is that grace and obedience are actually really good friends. They're not enemies. They don't work against each other as long as they are in the right positions in our hearts and in our lives. Because we have been saved by grace for good works. To be obedient to the word of God. Grace saves us. It transforms us. It it conforms us. It gives us faith. It increases our faith. It matures us. It gives us courage in the gospel. But grace also is what drives our obedience. It's the desire of our obedience. So many want to make them enemies, but they're not. And this is what the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, as soon we'll see, is all about. Brothers and sisters, are you following by faith? And forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to live in obedience according to the word of God. Do you follow Jesus in obedience? Remember what Jesus said. If you love me, you will follow, you will keep, excuse me. You will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Jesus truly died and his body was placed in the tomb. And his followers were obedient even in the midst of fear. But death in the tomb would not be the end of the story. Brothers and sisters, God's work did not end that Friday evening or even on that Sabbath rest. In the famous words of the preacher R.G. Lee in his famous sermon, Payday Sunday, he said, Oh, but Sunday's coming, where death will no longer have dominion over him. Fear will no longer be our chains, and sin will no longer be our master. In obedience, Will be our joy because we have been saved by grace. The tomb is not the end of the story. Post tembris lux, after darkness, there will be light. Let's pray. Father, we are stunned by the cross, we are amazed. Of the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf at the cross. By sending your Son to be our substitute, to die on our behalf, that we claim only the righteousness of Christ. We claim only Christ. Our faith alone is in Christ. Lord, I pray that as we respond together and speak together, as we receive the supper in a little bit, God, that we are encouraged deeply by the cross that Christ paid the wages of our sins. And to you, receive all the glory and the praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen.